Well, welcome to FinTech Impact. I'm your host, Jason Pereira. Today on the show, I have a return guest, Sean Brayman. Sean was previously on discussing his company, Plan Plus Global. Well, they have a new product out, Suitability Pro, and I brought him back to tell the story of Suitability Pro. And with that, here's my interview with Sean. Hello again, Sean. Hi, Jason. Thank you for having me back. Well, it's uh, you had the privilege of being the first person to come on and talk about a second product, not just the first. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Privilege, honor, whatever you want to call it. Grandiose ambitions here. So, Sean Brayman, welcome back a second time. Here to talk specifically about your newer product, Suitability Pro. So let's talk about Suitability Pro. What is it? So Suitability Pro is a next generation kind of taking the very best that we've learned in uh, goal-based investing, risk profiling at every level, tolerance for risk, and uh, so on, and all of the pieces around tracking suitability over time, hooking to back offices and wrapping that into three modules that hopefully can make advisors' lives a lot better, more consistent, more efficient, and so on. Excellent. So before we jump into all the features, because I just saw it today, and it's it's a it, honestly, it was a big lift for you guys, so I'm impressed. History. Tell me about the history of how this came together. Basically, two things drove this. One is uh, about 18 months ago, maybe a little longer now, we merged slash acquired Finometrica, uh-huh. bought out bunch of their shareholders some of the other ones like paul resnick ruled over into plan plus one of the more amusing interviews i've done on this show (laughs) (laughs) paul is always that and then some so so basically we had the base of thousands of finometric users around the world like plan plus many languages and Mm -hmm. uh, countries and our own planning software was in need of a facelift. We were probably the one of the very first guys on the block with a web-based solution back in 2001, 2002. I remember when it came out, yeah. it was cutting edge. So we kind of said, uh, it's, it's no longer cutting edge there. Everyone <laughs> loves their algorithms, time for a facelift, time for a new generation of APIs, and take the very best learnings we have from both the Finometrica family and Plan Plus and bring it out into a stronger, more configurable, more resilient and appealing looking product. Absolutely. So having had the privilege of just seeing this, I mean, I kind of referred to it as almost like the operating system for wealth management in a way, because you've compiled so many different key things we have to worry about. So at its core, to me, it looks like a, a dashboard that aggregates multiple pieces with two-way communication from multiple sources. So let's let's talk about what the entire experience is for the advisor using this tool. Well, I, I think a few things have changed since we started doing all of this years ago. Obviously the nature of collaboration, when you talk about multiple sources, the world has gone to multiple sources times, yep. times, 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 mm-hmm. right? Everyone's so, got an API. Absolutely, you got API. So, you know, conf- integrating to back offices has been around for a while, no big mm-hmm. deal. But now we end up with collaboration and we want clients to be able to do more things mm-hmm. and to try things and tell us about them. Yeah, and mobile engagement and... Exactly. Yeah. So all of a sudden... We've got many more moving parts and we want to be able to do our planning job better and more efficiently. But the problem is with the ground changing all the time makes it a lot harder as Mm -hmm. well. And we've experienced that historically, just daily pricing updates when you're trying to do a long-term strategic plan and the asset base is changing, Mm, right? So fundamentally the dashboard, which is something new to our suite and with Suitability Pro, is designed to bring all of that information together to give the advisor an overview of 
all of his planning book to be able to drill down and look at things like demographics, collaboration dashboards to understand which clients have been invited to which pieces, have they done anything? So fundamentally to try to give that quick overview to the advisor and then the ability to drill down a similar dashboard on a per client level as well. So mm -hmm. it's um, a key piece. And it, again, we've been adding in more and more forms of integrations and mm -hmm. capabilities within it. And one of our, our challenges historically has been, we always have done a lot. The issue isn't our algorithms or do enough calculations, it's ease of use, speed of use, mm -hmm. and so on. And so how do you take and not compromise doing a great job but make it simpler, faster, and more elegant, especially in a collaborative world. Well, yeah, especially, yeah, you're absolutely right. And I mean, in general, we're talking about where previously disparate systems, right? You have your risk tolerance questionnaire, you'd have your, maybe there's integration in different countries, not in Canada, unfortunately, in most cases, mm -hmm. the financial planning software. I mean, you have things like the, the value cards where basically people get to rank their value based on a series of visual cards. Mm -hmm. All these things were, were separate pieces and nothing really speaking to anything else. And you've kind of rolled it all up into mm -hmm. one nice user-friendly approach, quite honestly. Mm -hmm. So thank you. Yeah, well done. No, I mean, I, when I first got my hands on, I thought, okay, this is this is great. You're taking, you're kind of bridging the gap between the risk tolerance questionnaire and kind of the portfolio management software, and basically saying, hey, let's make sure these two data points are in line, and then hey, let's throw the financial planning software in here and make sure that's in line. Which to me has always been kind of the ideal goal, and never executed in my, in my background, unfortunately, together. But then when we started getting into this, I mean, you have bi-directional communication with a lot of the softwares, right? So can mm -hmm. you talk about? what it is someone, so an advisor can see everything's going on, see what the portfolio of the client's in, be able to access the key client information, not CRM level type stuff, but mm -hmm. kind of the 80-20 rule, 80% of what they would need to, and then drill down further. So tell me what they can accomplish within that besides just viewing. So again, at the if you go back to our the core and fundamentals, we're about advice. Yeah. How do you give the client the best possible advice using your professional judgment, using the mm -hmm. unique circumstances of the client. So CRMs and other pieces have lots of other aspects of information which are important to know about a client, but may not materially impact the advice side. So we're staying, yeah. we stick to our knitting. How do we give the best possible advice as efficiently as possible? And that advice covers a lot of things. So again, as a purist, you know, I, I might look and say, wouldn't the world be grand if all of the planners in the world were fee-based, charging for the value and the mm -hmm. services they provided? True professional billing. The yep. reality is that the entire world, even some of the very best planners whom I love dearly, you. you know, <laughs> the, uh, the models are based on AUM models, they're based on whatever, and, and as long as the client's getting the service and their best interests are being looked after, then yeah. the industry will continue to evolve. But yeah, it's legacy. We all came from, we evolved from that piece and still it's the vestigial tail of the entire industry yeah. at this point. <laughs> but, but at the end of the day, that tail is still wagging a lot of dogs. Unfortunately. And so at this point, rather than fight it, we're saying, look at a planner should know their client better than anybody else in the world. If they're doing their job right, they should understand aspects of the emotional side of the client, the goals of the client, the liabilities, every aspect of that client's life. And the advice should be within the context of all of those things. And then what they do is they go off and in a lot of cases use 
a bupkis form of questionnaire with eight questions that means nothing. So that was they, developed by the marketing department and a score that makes no sense. Absolutely. Yeah. And they can tick the box and the account mm -hmm. opening system can fire and away you go. And you have the client sign off on all of that. We're saying there actually is a better way of recognizing the requirements of the regulator in knowing the client, how you're arranging suitability, understanding how that folds into the plan, how it impacts the risk for the client in the future, you know, all the different pieces related to capacity and mm -hmm. so on. So it's that continuum that recognizes that the majority of advisors worldwide, not just in Canada, but worldwide, remain very product and asset investment centric. How do we do that in a better way based on evidence, based on research, or what we've done with Suitability Pro is introduced new mechanisms that allow advisors to frame their own professional judgment to have more consistency and in the reporting to be able to demonstrate that to the client. Yeah, I mean, in a lot of ways, your platform, this platform is almost a regulatory dream, right? Because essentially you're basically doing, again, the risk profiling, academically backed risk profiling. So it's not built on hearsay or you're not getting results like, oh, mm -hmm. I can't take anything more than a 10% decline. <laughs> yeah, wait a second, 80% result in, in equity. This makes no sense. Many frustrating experiences in the past. Anyway, so the so you're, you're doing that. You're, you're mapping that to the actual underlying portfolio. You're backing it up with all mm -hmm. the planning and you're creating a platform there that standardizes the advisor's approach, as you said. So building in their model portfolios and the allocations and yeah. the thing that, free, that, you know, that just drives every regulator mad is, okay, here's person A and person B. On paper, they look identical. Please tell me why they have completely <laughs> radically different allocations and portfolios mm -hmm. to which an advisor in most cases just like, oh, selling yeah. that this month, <laughs> you know, unfortunately. Yeah. And, and quite honestly, even where it's not as bad as selling that this month or mm -hmm. whatever the case might be, over time, things change and trying Absolutely. to understand how do you, and again, a key part of Suitability Pro is maintaining suitability. It's not an event that you do once when you bring on a new high net worth client and, hi, I'm going to do his plan, prove I give great service, check the boxes to implement, and we're off and running. And I'll get together with them quarterly or once a year yeah. and talk about his performance, right? So it's more than that. And, and this is to track how those things are um, moving against the goal. Mm -hmm. How is the client's behavior? Is he doing the right things? Is he saving what he said? Is he taking money out when he shouldn't have? Mm -hmm. So part of the pro tracker module is that Mapping ongoing the, monitoring, yeah. telling the advisor, oh, Sean's gone AWOL, better get him back in and, yeah. and find out whether his goals need to be rethought or what's happening. So fundamentally, again, we are where we are as an industry. The truth of the matter is pretty much worldwide, there is a sometimes frustratingly slow, but a continuous level of improvement. I'd you like to say relate. that while we're sitting in Canada. So <laughs> I, I do, I do. And, and we sometimes hope that we would see more change and quicker change, but we are at least seeing some degrees of change and recognition that we're no longer straight up sales organizations that we have a fiduciary, whether you use the F word or not, a fiduciary client best interest. I love the F word. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I do too. And yeah. I think planners, again, are by their nature at a, at a level of client best interest, fiduciary responsibility yeah. regardless. So how do we make that easier, better, but at the same time, plug it into the traditional 
square hole of my compliance department needs these boxes checked. And quite honestly, as, as we've talked about before, sometimes compliance departments don't want you to know too much because they're afraid you'll get into trouble later on, which to both of us is counterintuitive. Is, yes. It's the, yeah, they want, they want to just follow a, a small yeah. checklist and then that way you're going to be staying out of trouble. Exactly. Oh, man. But yeah, I mean, frankly, it's, I, I, I thank you for your forethought because frankly, this is, you're, you're definitely skating where the puck is going on this one because this, everything I'm seeing compiled in here, the amalgamation of cash flow based planning into goals based portfolio management into the, the duty of care that we're supposed to be having, the triggers for when people go off the reservation. I mean, first of all, it's exactly what we should be doing and the systems have not been to date. But also, I mean, let's let's go back to evidence-based, right? Like mm -hmm. the evidence is that, you know, you look at where we're providing value academically and it is in more of the coaching and behavioral side, right? So allowing us to not only A, focus on that, but B, enable the triggers that help us determine when that coaching needs to take place is usually valuable. Absolutely. And that's why you, you kind of mentioned earlier the, the new values-based exercise. We worked with um, some guys in uh, a firm called Legacy Group in Boston, which mm -hmm. have been for at least a couple of decades, one of the leaders in the high net worth space in that area. And it's a recognition that it's, you know, even though we had a, the world's very best psychometric tolerance for risk tests. Mm -hmm. That's one aspect of the behavioral side of the client. But we know there are a lot of other yeah. drivers going on here. What right? values are important to them is usually important. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and it can be how it frames their goals. It can also come down to things like, how do you implement the portfolio? Like, what if I see a client where environment and social responsibility start to be key values. Absolutely. Even if I'm cynical about ESG or whatever as an advisor, I need to step up and say, wow, this client really is oriented to those things. They're important. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's amusing. I've often said, like, there's been studies done that show that advisors who even ask those simple questions on, on ESG are more likely to land the clients. And even from personal experience, the number of prospects we've had come in here mm -hmm. and ask that question about what about, you know, social responsible investing. I have a conversation about what's your definition of that. This is what's available in the market. And, you know, the definition may not match up, but we're going to, you know, if you go yeah. with us, we're definitely going to make sure we go down that route. And the response is almost universally, wow. You're the first one who actually told me, didn't tell me not to do it, right? It's like, you know, <laughs> yeah. oh, it's, you know, it's, it's, there's the evidence supports it and it's a client preference. So why are we, you know, it's, in, again, it goes back to the value. It is important to them. And if we're not dealing with what's important to them, then we're missing a dimension of helping them get where they want to be. Absolutely. And you may recall, I think you were in this session in, um, at the CIFPS conference mm -hmm. a few weeks ago, the panel where they were talking about yes. women yep. and the fact that, you know, something like an estimated two thirds of all wealth will have transferred into the hands of surviving spouses absolutely, and that women just don't care about rates of return. I shouldn't say don't care, not but not to the same degree, not to the same degree. No. And so when men are sitting there saying, I beat your, the benchmark by X or did whatever yeah, this month, it's anyway. like, it has no, yeah, this month, yeah, right. It, it, it has no meaning to the, whereas if you say you're invested in a way that is going to help the environment mm -hmm. and give your kids, you know, a future that's better. And we're getting returns on yep. it and, and, and enable the goals that you have to help give them the gifts that you want to give them to help them buy their first house or whatever. Yeah, Absolutely. exactly. So, so you end up with stickier assets. You end up with clients that understand that you care about them and their goals and what they feel is important mm -hmm. in the world, not simply 
what's the rate of return that that product happened to have generated, yeah. right? So, and I mean, it's so fundamental because it's just, it's just shifting the focus back to what money's really about, which is enablement of whatever it is you want, as opposed to the scorecard that we all in this industry seem to think it is. Right. Yeah. yeah. Don't get me wrong. It can be a scorecard also, but I don't care what this score is if I don't get to live my life the way I see fit. Exactly right. right. Yeah. Yeah. So we're, we're um, I, I think we've always been, as, as you know, maybe um, a little too purist or a little too idealistic in where we're trying to go. But I, I think the world needs idealists. So yeah, <laughs> thank and, you for it. And we've often used the word, I think I, I may have used this, stealth planning, right? Like how do you take advisors who really all they care about is Probably the job they've always done, doing it fast, doing it efficiently. So how can we help them do that and still provide better advice almost by default? That's not sneaking always easy. In, uh, sneaking in value into the proposition. <laughs> well, yeah, but, but, but yeah. if you make it easy enough, yeah. right, then hopefully you'll have more advisors that start to see that as, as something that they can do without you know, yeah. blowing their brains out. And, you know, it's not, you know, there's, and we were talking about this earlier, it is complex stuff, even simple cases. It is, you know, the number of tax rules as they change both around totally. here and elsewhere around the world, it's just, it's not easy. And I mean, I still get caught with small things from time to time. I'm just like, wow, I forgot that rule. And I still look things up that I'm pretty sure I know already just to be safe all the time. So for people who aren't spending their heads there and spending their times, you know, looking at Morningstar and trying to figure out what the best five-star fund is, Figure, mm -hmm. out the, figure out the joke there. They don't, you know, they're not going to spend the time at becoming proficient at that. And that's going to hurt people. So the more you can automate that, the better. And it's, it's a lot of ways you're, you're saving them from themselves and helping them, help them provide value without realizing they're providing value. You can do it. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I love everything about it. But so overall, the grand vision of this, I mean, I feel like you, so you talked about other integrations. Like, you know, what yeah. other integrations are you contemplating or been asked to do at this stage? Yeah. So that's actually been one of the challenges and maybe it opens the door to underneath this new framework, we ended up re-engineering all of our APIs. So again, uh, over the last year, we migrated all of our platforms over to AWS. <laughs> like new, most of the universe. Yeah, yep. like most of the universe. Yep. Whole new generation of APIs. So we, we, you know, we've been doing APIs for a while, but mm -hmm. This framed it that 100% of everything we do is done with APIs. So yeah. that then opens the door to allow a lot of different types of integrations. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we're, we're basically being inundated. So kind of the shortlist is we have people knocking on our door almost daily asking, can we hook in in some way? And we've done all the things you'd expect with new uh, sandboxes and mm -hmm. API documentation and so on to allow people who want to use or consume our API services. If they want to do it, fine, let's let's yeah. take a look at it, go to town. And then there's a lot of bigger integrations where, again, the way we framed it allows very simple translation between mm -hmm. our API set, other people's API set. And uh, we already had a lot of different integrations. So Finimetric, as an example, we had integrations with Redtail, with Orion, and, 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 and. Oh, the U.S. Um, I love the integration plays down there. Yeah, <laughs> I wish like, to God I had them here. But, all all uh, over the place. But again, they tended to be thinner integrations because yeah. the amount of data required for just the risk tolerance wasn't very much. So we've got two or three fairly significant projects underway at the moment. And we're basically trying to divide up and about 90% of our users, Canada is still the biggest market. UK is next, US is third, Australia is fourth. 
then kind of blossoms out from there to another 35 country or 30 odd countries, whatever the number happens to be. So we're trying to keep fairly evenly distributed where we're looking at key players. And once in a while, we'll find uh, platforms that are global themselves. Although quite frankly, those Not tend to be many. few and far <laughs> yeah. between. They're either US centric or the rest of the world, it feels like. Yes, it seems um, like no one in the US develops software for elsewhere in the space. <laughs> yeah, 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 it's definitely the exception. Yeah. So. We're extremely excited about that because, you know, the one we've always been open, but the trouble with open is open still takes time and resources and money and QA to do it right. So the cost benefits, you've always got to keep looking at. The API world basically allows us to bulletproof some of those doorways so yeah. that we don't have to care, you know, if uh, to the same extent, no one can kind of break the system, so yeah. to speak. But it makes total sense. And, you know, for developers listening to this, I mean, if you haven't got this message yet, know it. I mean, frankly, you need to you need to be an API call on everything you do these days, right? Because, and as we discussed this earlier, I discussed it earlier with Sean, every company wants to own their client experience. No one wants to have the same looking financial plans or mm -hmm. portals. You know, I often joke, you know, we talked about this before, I think with eMoney and their and their dashboard. Well, you know, everybody's got the same looking dashboard. So when you move from one advisor to another, you may have had a really bad experience with one and then the other one's using the same tools. It kind of enters, it creates the question of like, wait a sec, like what's going on here? Yeah. And the ability designing these things with their APIs so that essentially someone doesn't have to use Suitability Pro, they can use Finometric as an API call. They can use, they can draw data from ProPlanner or they can, you know, bit, or potentially the other way around, you can, you can sub something else into that equation. Yeah and roll it up into it is the only way to go really quite frankly because it mm -hmm. allows people the ability to stop buying the full package and start buying the function yeah well and, and again with the uh, finometrica relationships we have a great relationships with money guide pro yeah. in the us right they're one of our biggest clients yeah. and the use of apis we don't want to compete on everything cash flow planning goal-based planning there's there's lots of ways to skin the cat we think we have some phenomenal algorithms and in the risk tolerance and risk profiling space, I, I believe that we remain the world leader in that space Doesn't without mean, a didn't doubt. Didn't you invent the space? <laughs> yeah, well, so the, the tolerance space, absolutely. And we continue to ask questions. I don't think people have even asked around professional judgment and so on hmm. and expanding new areas. So the research we're doing is is opening new doors in that space that I think are phenomenally important. So that area, we totally expect people will want to plug and play everywhere. Do people want to plug and play tax algorithms for we manage 50 different countries or mm -hmm. whatever the case might be? Quite possibly. There are people that have built you got me thinking that. You know, good, <laughs> good platforms, yep. but that do they actually want to try to think and maintain every variant of government benefits? Well, taxes I said that, and so on. Right? I said that in conversation on multiple occasions is when you think about the amount of repeated effort made anytime a government changes a rule or a tax rate, right? Like yeah. every one of you has to basically go back to the drawing board and edit your code to some degree. Maybe it's just a repository where you change a number, yeah. but if they're adding new brackets or adding new clawbacks or whatever it is, you guys got to, every last one of you has to go back to the drawing board. And at some point, turn yourself into infrastructure. Let everybody else call to your API mm -hmm. and make that call. Yeah. So I'm thrilled with Suitability Pro and our new UI and mm -hmm. the experience it brings. But at the end of the day, we recognize the fact that it's the engine. It's the fact that the algorithms, the things we do are just as 
good as they can be done. And we're always continually looking at new areas that we can expand that yep. envelope. So one engine that can literally set, scale from simple goal-based all the way through to very high-end planning. Mm -hmm. So you don't get different answers on your client-facing yeah. calcs than you do on your basic planning tools than you do on your advanced planning tools. The more data you have, the more information you have, the smarter we get, yeah. the better we can do. But it's never a confliction where you've got conflicted with different methodologies and coming up with fundamentally different answers, right? Which is dangerous. Which is dangerous. And as we discussed before, you know, end of the day, you go to two different advisors, you get two very, you go to five different advisors, you have five very different answers because of the lack of standardization around some of the, the thoughts and theories on this. And even internally within firms, you get the same problem, right? So if you have that same data set feeding the same underlying assumptions, you should end up with something relatively close with some room for interpretation and creativity on different strategies and structures that get put in place. So thank you for getting us more towards a profession, Sean. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, we need that. You know, we've often talked about that, going to five different doctors and getting five different diagnoses is not about to make you feel confident in the medical profession. <laughs> mm -hmm. Well, but even there, the one thing you'd hope is that if you're going to the, if five of you went to the same doctor with the same symptoms, oh, you'd get the same answer, right? Yeah. And so we've got two levels that we have inconsistency amongst the doctors, yeah. but you also have inconsistency sometimes within one office, one, yeah. one advisor framework, because some of the pieces are not systematized and therefore it just leaves you open. So Yeah, and we've talked about, I mean, I've talked about it at least, I'm not sure if it was the last time you were on, but I mentioned the study you guys worked with at the University of Georgia, was it? Mm -hmm. On the, uh, it, was, it was like, how many portfolios was it? Or how many cases was it? Yeah, so we had, uh, I think that was five different case studies yeah. Yeah. that we asked people to review. Yeah. yeah, so here's the five different cases. Give me the optimal location. And the trick was two of them were identical, separated by one in the middle yeah. and radically different answers and the best fit model was 100 minus age. And yeah, a little disconcerting. Yeah, well, I think, did you, I don't know if you heard my face palm when my head hit my hand when I was in that conference room, but it was just, I cannot believe we're still here. <laughs> I cannot believe this is where it is. But yeah. I mean, it's in, yeah. it's, it's, it's interesting because you think to like, even the studies done on, on human behavior and how judges will issue parole more easily after lunch because right? yes. they're not hungry, yeah. right? And you start thinking, okay, so what's subjectivity? If I don't have a structured framework for basically non-biased decisions surrounding portfolio allocations, yeah. then what biases and traps am I falling into based on time of day, tired, how much I slept the night before, my mood, yeah. like, all these things. What right? happened? On, yeah, no, no, exactly right. And, yeah. and we fully appreciate and they're the, the value of professional judgment, but even putting up those flags and bumpers to say, okay, you're wandering off what you normally espouse as best practice. If there's a good reason, great, just yeah. say what it is. Otherwise, maybe you need to rethink because you had said these are the yeah. parameters I'm operating in. And yeah. I can't remember when we uh, talked last, but we presented uh, a follow-up to the University of Georgia paper where I'd done interviews of probably a dozen of the, were you oh, one yeah. of the guys? One of the, I can't remember. I think I may have been the participant, but I remember, I, I vaguely remember the results of this. What, were the, what yeah. was it again? So again, kind of what we did is thinking that the five case studies were too complicated. Yes. We did A, some more simple surveys, yes. but also I did 12 in-depth interviews with Kitsis and Yetsky and mm -hmm. some of the top guys I know, and I, I know a fair number, yeah. right around the world. And I had the same variation as I did on the individuals. 
And everybody has a good reason for it, but you have some people that are very, uh, excuse the word, parochial. I'm going to give you the portfolio that I know will, will meet your needs, and I use your tolerance to help figure out when I need to talk to you, right? Yeah, which we discussed that approach. The second you do that, you've lost in court because you've shown preference over, over what's actually, I mean, yeah. I just... No, I, I, let's not go there. <laughs> I, I get it, but, but these are not like guys who haven't thought it through. Oh, these I are know. really bright, some of the brightest guys in our, our I industry. I saw that gentleman present. I remember we were in that session together. Yeah. So, yeah. So, so the bottom line is, I think that like an ISO standard, like whatever, it's sometimes it's not only what you do, it's that you articulate how you're doing it and you maintain your own consistency, mm -hmm. right? So that if I'm a doctor's office, yeah. I do my absolute best professionally to stay up on everything, to give the best advice. And when I wander a field, I know, okay, I got to draw a line in the sand here, yeah. do a referral, do something else. Yeah, I remember that study. I remember that interview now. And I think my only feedback was it was, it was a little too simplistic. So you went, the pendulum swung too far that direction. So next time I participate, I'm sure it'll be somewhere closer <laughs> to the middle. But yeah. yeah, I mean, it's it's one of those things where there's so many studies or things that show this and that it, the book that always comes to mind is a checklist manifesto because it's like, they, you know, it's checklists. They seem like a simple kind of thing that, you know, why bother, right? But they exist in super complicated surgery. They exist mm -hmm. in, the, in, the, in the landing of planes, right? Absolutely. Um, you know, Sully Solenberger credits the checklist with having saved him on the miracle in the Hudson, right? Mm -hmm. And it's really a, good checklist is one where you've literally thought out the dimensions of exactly what needs to be done and you follow that rigorously. And if it fails, you adjust the checklist, right? Mm -hmm. And I often say to myself, if we just, if everybody standardized the thought process around all of this, first of all, the cognitive burden in every meeting would just drop like a rock, which would be nice because we wouldn't, <laughs> wouldn't have to work as hard. But at the same time, then it becomes, you know, if imagine, imagine where we all had that. And then we started sharing those and then we can... Mm -hmm. Called peer review. We can actually see what works in the wild. So, yeah. you know, this is my large aspirational goal for future, <laughs> the future where we actually have these conversations and start getting yeah. away from personal opinion. And I'm sure that my answer contradicted any number of other people's yeah. answers. But I think you're right. It's got to start with the dialogue. Yeah. So A, you have to be able to frame the questions in a way that we can discuss it as a yeah. group. And we may not all agree, but we will, most most people, I think, will start to, even by asking the questions mm -hmm. and trying to frame their own belief system, all of a sudden it makes you think, oh my gosh, I've kind of been op operating on autopilot on this one, hadn't been thinking about it. Now that I do, maybe I do need to adjust. And yep. it's very easy with so many things changing in the world, sucking up so much of our time. Yeah. We don't go looking for reasons to, to burn change, more no. cycles, right? But, and frankly, I mean, I, I just look at it from, from the standpoint of, besides the fact it is, in quote, unquote, the right thing to do, I also look at it from the standpoint of it, it makes the investment side of my business so much easier, right? Mm -hmm. The amount of cognitive expenditure on the financial planning side, substantial. Yeah. On the investment side, it's been invested front end. Yeah. And now it's basically, I'm on rails, right? Yeah. And of course, there's adjustments for that, and that's necessary. But... I sat back and think to myself of how people complicate their businesses by yeah. taking an alternative approach to it. And it's like, you're just setting yourself up. And, and unfortunately, you're getting suboptimal results for your clients in but, the end. But I think that's a reflection of our entire industry where what we did is we made things complicated to pretend that they had value. This in is them, true. Right? This is and, so true. And it, it's through many, many products, yes. many aspects. So we've intense, in, intentionally made an obscure profession 
when the reality oh. is some parts of it are pretty freaking straightforward. Hey, there's, there's asymmetry in the information, so you got to yeah. pay us to, to filter through it. But yeah. you're absolutely right. Yeah. Some of it is, is modern portfolio theory really that complex a concept in its at its core? No, yeah. right? Is non-home country bias a complex concept at its core? No, it's not. Yeah. And I think, I'm not going to put the, I'm, it's interesting. It's, you know, regulation's interesting in that it sets a standard, yeah. but it leaves room for interpretation because it doesn't go down the full rabbit hole of saying, you know, paint in this block. It's not paint by numbers, right? Right. So we have to do risk tolerance. We have to basically assess client risk profiles, but there's no guidelines on how. Right. Right. Like, yeah, it's uh, so left to our own devices. We will create a million and one complicated ways. And most of those don't work. Yeah. Anyway, we're, we are making headway. Good. I think Suitability Pro is is a great, a great step forward. Yeah. It kind of builds on a legacy of academic excellence mm -hmm. on, I think, um, a culture within our organizations <laughs> that that really is oriented to best practice at every instance. Yeah. And uh, it just brings us up to snuff technologically because yeah. we had lagged a little bit on the API side and the UI side. You got to overhaul things every now and then. Yeah. I mean, you've already rebuilt the system, what, three, four times now? Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And uh, it's funny. So funny side note. I mean, at one point when I was supposed to be on the beta for this, I didn't get it. I did get the invitation to finally look at it. And then you sent it out to an email to say, well, maybe don't send it to Jason. He'll tear it apart. <laughs> uh, did I say that? You did send it to, to, to Matt. Uh, and Matt, I said, no, Matt, actually, I really like I could see from the beginning where you were coming yeah. together and, and the different thought points you were bringing into one unified platform mm. and thought, okay, this is the way to go because this is exactly what needs to happen. It needs to, it's all these different points of information on the client that help us steer them in the right direction and keep them on track. So thank you for that. I am very interested to see how this continues to pan out and potentially using it myself. So three questions to wrap up. I'm not sure if I had these three, you know, I've added this since you've been okay. on, but it's these kind of aspirational ones that we add at the end. So if you had one wish for something you could change in the industry, what would it be? Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> you found Honestly, the genie, there's one left. Okay, you had to ask the question, but it would be compensation models. Yeah. That would be, because I believe that Jerry Maguire, you know, show me the money, yeah. follow the money, say what you will, that so much of our behavior and the behavior of hundreds of thousands of advisors worldwide are driven by their, and I get it, their yep. paycheck. They've got families to feed and the businesses that have constructed ways of driving behavior yep. successfully. So until some of that changes, I honestly think it will continue to be an uphill snail's pace evolution of a profession. Well, yep, and I think it's uh, it goes back to Charlie Munger saying, if you want to work on anything, work on incentives, right? I mean, incentives drive every yeah. action. But you know, the one thing I am thankful for is that we don't have a monoculture when it comes to this industry around the world. And mm -hmm. we're seeing all these real-time experiments happen in Australia and the UK and seeing the benefits. And you yeah. know, despite what the naysayers are saying about, ooh, the negative impact on this, it's usually only the negative impact on the people who are doing things that we now consider wrong. And the end result has thus far been overwhelmingly positive for the industry. Mm -hmm. So keep going Australia and UK. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so in building this or in, in getting suitability pro to where it is, what was the biggest challenge you had uh, to get into the thing? Oh, candidly. And, and I'm not sure I should say this publicly. I'll probably get, I'll get help from my uh, CEO. Well, that's me. Um, <laughs> candidly, what it is, is because we were early to the game and a lot of our algorithms like had been built up over years, the API side of it, required that everything had to be restructured, mm. compartmentalized. And I, I don't want to use the word spaghetti code, but what had happened is over decades, 
We had logic in different places. And so it turned into a much, much bigger job than our dev people had assumed. They thought, oh, just add an API. And then they found, unfortunately, the pieces it had to talk to. So that was a massive undertaking. And and we're probably six months, nine months behind where I had hoped we would be in getting this out the door. Who meets the deadline in software? I know, I know. And that's the natural evolution of every system. You know, if you had to start over again, you can always nuke it better the second time than you did the first and the third time than you did the fourth. And this is coming from someone who will get to 90% of the project done and then decides to start over again because he realized he could have done a better job. Yeah. So So, so basically that one was an eye-opener for our whole dev team. Good thing is, the maintainability of it now goes up astronomically. Yeah. Oh, no doubt. But I mean, yeah. it's it's fine. There's a well-known story of a major Canadian bank whose name and color will not be named, but that had shelved a multi, 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 I can't even think of half a billion dollar project because they're like, oh, we're going to modernize all our systems. And then they found that their base code, which date went back to like the 1970s, had like 5,000 macros built over top of it. And trying to unwind <laughs> that thing, good luck. Yeah. And yeah, that led to some firings. There's another one of the firms we work with, uh, a large back office firm, something similar, where they started a project 10 years ago and they completed it this year. And it was, it ended up turning into like a too many zeros, billion dollar type project. And sometimes you just don't know when you have legacy systems until you get there. But that's, well, unfortunately, now they're legacy again because they started 10 years ago. Yeah. Last question for you is what excites you the most about what you're working on or what you're doing that basically gets you out of bed every morning, energized and ready to go? What it is, it has been and still remains is asking new questions in areas that people take for granted that lead to more thought, more research. We've never been a go get a book on how to do calculations go into your garage and write a piece of software. We're, I really consider, uh, you know, Plan Plus and Finometrica, you know, as a part of us. We really asked and broke new ground in a number of areas and continue to do it. And the interesting thing is when you do that, it engenders, again, a culture of looking for opportunities to ask those yeah. unthought of questions. Intellectual curiosity is the greatest yeah. gift anyone can ever have. And so, if you institutionalize that, congratulations yeah. to you. That's fantastic. It, it, so that's the piece that gets me up every morning. And at least a couple of times a week I go, oh, I wish we had more resources and time because there's, well, our, our conversation earlier today, yeah. I'd love to do research comparing you know, what this is saying against the reality in oh the last God. five I, years, right? The number of research projects I love to see come to fruition. Yeah. So, so that's that's it. Yeah. Having it manifest and end up in the hands of people to actually make their lives better, that's awesome. Yeah. But it's it's kind of asking those questions in the first place and finding new ways of, of coming at them. Fantastic. Well, thank you yet again for taking the time a second time. And if you come up with another product, I'm happy to have you back again. My pleasure. <laughs> right, thank you, care. Jason. So I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. Uh, it's always fun to have Sean on. And as always, if you enjoyed this podcast, please leave a review for on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time, I'm Jason Pereira, and this is FinTech Impact. Take care. This podcast was brought to you by Woodgate Financial, an award-winning financial planning firm catering to high net worth individuals and their families. To learn more, go to woodgate.com. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play, or find more episodes at fintechimpact.co.